This week on The Futurists, Shelley Palmer. If this doesn't have your undivided attention and thrill you in ways you've never been thrilled in your life and scare the living shit out of you in ways you have never been scared, you simply don't know enough. You have more to learn. Well, hi, and welcome back to yet another episode of The Futurists, where we talk to the people who are making and inventing and shaping and planning and envisioning the future. I'm Rob Tursick, and this is my co-host. You forgot dreaming. Brett King. Hi, Brett yeah, King dreaming here. the future. Now we can have computers <laughs> dream for us. So, True. Brett, you're back from your travels. You're back from NASA. You're back. Uh, you're wearing your NASA shirt. Look at you. I am. NASA fanboy. Proudly. Fan Proudly. Yeah. This week, we have somebody okay. I have been so thrilled about getting on the show for such a long time. Actually, uh, we we were wanting to do this show back around CES, which is the big consumer right. electronics show in Las Vegas. That's one of the biggest trade shows in the world. And it's where all the companies that make consumer tech get together to show off the latest and the greatest. And sometimes they show stuff that will never see the light of day. And the very best person in the world to take you on a tour of that is Shelly Palmer. Shelly, welcome to the show. We're so thrilled to have you on The Futurists. Oh, thanks Yay. so much. Great to be it's here. It's fair turnabout, too, because you've interviewed us before, so. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> right on. That's it. Log rolling on the podcasts here in progress. So, so Shelly, you know, what, what I wanted to ask you about CES, I know it was a couple months ago, but um, what should we be paying attention to now? Tell me, like, of all the stuff that's out there, because now we've got chips and everything and everything's getting connected and we're, everything's getting smart and we've got faster networks and the more connectivity. There are a million ideas, but, you know, lots of stuff is interesting. Not everything's important. What do you think is important? Uh, my key takeaway from CES, other than being thrilled to be back there because, you know, in person with live human yeah. beings, you know, going to get a beer with some people and going to some cocktail parties and just getting a hug, you know, from the people that you've missed for three years. It was I mean, it was something magical about that. Just I, I can't imagine. I can't even believe that I am saying out loud that I was loving being in Las Vegas because at a certain point in your life, you spent exactly one True. too many nights in that town. Yeah. But no, I hadn't. It was great to be back. If If I am honest about CES. Now that I've said all the good stuff, the thing that impressed me the most was what was missing from CES this year. And I sat through, I don't know how many demonstrations of people showing me augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, big screens, flexible screens, screens of ways to consume or immerse yourself in media that are at the very cutting edge of what technology can give you, telematics in the cars, fully glass cockpits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There wasn't a person at the show who understood that unless you had near real-time control of data from the cloud, data from the local area network, the wide area network that might be around you, uh, data coming from the local device, the sponsor's single view of the customer or CRM system, which would be in a different cloud, and you could operate on those in near real time to surface um, a message or content to the right person who's in the right place at the right time, then what you have is basically a um, you have a phone that has a dial tone, but nobody to call. Mm. It was It was yeah. so palpable that everyone was touting this gear. It's like, look at all our gear. It's like, 
How do you make this actionable? Where is the infrastructure that allows the data to be turned into action so that I can give the person wearing your thing, looking at your thing, immersed in your thing, the experience without, because I live in a corporate world, having to sit with a client and go through an 18-month waterfall project plan, mm. where by the time you get to the other end of it, the technology has changed three times. We're living in an exponentially um, progressive times. And so none of the old ways that you would be able to make those tools work can. So I yeah. felt like everybody was talking about just the gear, yeah. and no homage, in fact, no respect for what would need to happen in order for you to surface this immo- this immersive experience that everybody clearly wants. And there is, right. look, there are as many different visions, Rob, as, as you can imagine. Like everyone's got from video gaming on one side, yeah. you know, how will you make a game immersive? How will you make going to a restaurant immersive? How will you go? What's in retail? What's happening in a medical environment? Can you use it for training? Like everyone's got brilliant ideas about how to do it, but nobody had any infrastructure. And I, it was so palpably missing. Hey, so how do I, what does the front end look like? What front end? Well, what's the, what do the APIs look like? Yeah. Or, or yeah. what's the cloud, the cloud configuration or the connectivity? You can, I mean, you, know, the, the, you can is, see, Oh, good, sorry. You, 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 in, you, uh, you can see Apple is, is struggling um, with this, with their, their, you know, new developer headset that should be released any day theoretically. But it's, as you say, it's not just um, even your UX architecture, you know, next gen app store, things like that. It's just the computing, um, the edge computing um, platform yeah. that you need to run this. And, you know, we, we are, we're making fair progress on the cloud generally, um, you know, in the States. But if you look, this is where players like Huawei and China with their edge computing play, I think are really stepping ahead on, on this stuff, you know, particularly with their smart city uh, implementation stuff in Shenzhen and things like that. Absolutely but- right. And, you know, look, Qualcomm's got a bunch of edge stuff. Um, NVIDIA is getting a lot of love right now because of mm-hmm. their, their GPUs. Yeah. But but look, uh, the story of the edge is, and then local devices is probably not getting the kind of attention it should get. And it certainly uh, was was boldly absent from the things that I saw. But you know what's funny about that is just a month and a half later uh, in Barcelona is another one of the world's biggest trade shows, which is the Mobile World Congress. Yeah. And this is where all the, um, you know, all the people who dress in their colorful gray suits uh, from the telephone companies, they all gather together in one of the most exciting cities in the world to one of the most boring events, which is the infrastructure show, right? It's the mobile network show. Uh, And so this is about all the connectivity that's missing at CES. And man, it is deflationary they, to go from one where you get the euphoria of all the gear at CES yeah. and Vegas and all that. And then you go to Barcelona and it's like these incredibly boring people uh, talking about infrastructure. Both pieces are necessary, but they're kind of like the yin and yang of each other. And um, where you get this thrill of consumer facing uh, at CES, um, you get the, uh, I guess you get the dead hand of these enormous monopolies or duopolies uh, when you go to the World, the world Congress. Uh, you just see how um, bureaucratic and how stifling uh, the big the big telcos really are. 
Uh, they're making progress, like 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 Brett said, but it's like glaciers. Right? You have to kind of grinding. Yeah, you know, towards it. Rob, cool stuff happens at Mobile World Congress. John Hoffman's <laughs> not such a good idea. One of the things they have at Mobile World that they don't have at CES is they have like the secret entrances for dignitaries. You know, princes and kings of municipalities show up with their entourages, and it's like you know the Sultan of this and the King of that, and it's like I don't know. We don't have much of that in the, at CES. Yeah. So that, that's kind of cool. The other thing is, it's not so much infrastructure versus a kit that a consumer would hold on to, you know, phones or screens or whatever. Really, it, it's it's the entire set of behind-the-scenes tools required to manipulate data. And mm-hmm. even at the infrastructure shows, they, everybody assumes it's somebody else's gig. Oh, that's plumbing. It'll be taken care of. It's not plumbing. Data sovereignty for the consumer is the European Union's biggest thing. It's totally different in the states where we have, I don't know, catch as catch can, whatever, got New York Shield law, you got CCPA, you got every, like Jersey has something, tennis, like everybody's got their own like privacy laws. So you don't exactly know how to put together a comprehensive data structure in the states. And then in China, all bets are off because you don't know what's going on. Is it the government that has everything? Is it, uh, quote, private companies, if there is such a thing? Like, so we're living in three worlds, right? You're living in the yeah. China data world, which is, and you know, they've got some pretty big arms and legs. They they reach all over. They've got Chinese infrastructure and ports of, uh, you know, shipping ports all over the planet. You got the United States, which to be fair, is just, <laughs> if you watched some of our, um, well, let's just say if you watch some of our uh, elected leaders go after TikTok, <laughs> the story about yeah, the, the I knew home, that was coming. <laughs> does TikTok access the, your home Wi-Fi network? Yeah, right? exactly. Um, okay, that's like when Orrin Hatch said to Mark Zuckerberg, "Well, if you don't charge money, you know, how does Facebook make money?" And and you know, Senator, we run ads. I mean, like you just yeah. it doesn't instill confidence in no, your. China spent eight trillion dollars on the Belt and Road. They're ten. They're ten years in on the CBDC. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of AI level infrastructure, we've had this debate on this show many times. Um, but um, yeah, it's pretty interesting to see what's coming out of China. So at the end of the day, we are in a world where there are three different data sets of data rules. Yeah. GDPR, which is pretty good. I mean, they seem to understand that you should take a three hour lunch. And I like any culture that says you should take a three hour lunch and, you know, <laughs> you should work to live, not live to work. I kind of like that vibe that in America, it's just work 24 hours a day till you fall down at your desk dead. Okay. I get that. So we got some data rules around that. And then China, which is whatever it is that week. And I'm not sure that I have a full handle on the understanding of how the Chinese government might be using data to do whatever they're doing. But what I do know guys is that if I was tasked right now with creating a, an, an immersive experience for us, walk into a retail store, walk down a venue like in New Orleans on Bourbon Street, go to a, a sporting event and have something surface that makes me feel like a VIP and, and gives me some graphical experience or some immersive experience with audio and video. I'd be hard pressed to easily put that together. It can yeah. be done. 
but it would all be one off. And if you remember the old days, hey, let's do a homepage takeover. That was an 18, that was 18 <laughs> months of waterfall style meetings with yeah, I don't know right, how, yeah. many, yeah. how many people in corporate, how many people the ad agency, how many people the medium buying agency, oh, wow. how many people the creative agency, then the client had to sign off. Then you had to make sure yeah. that the company you were working with, oh, will Yahoo let us do that to the front page of Yahoo? I mean, it's like, you remember those days? Like that. Yeah, yeah, but you know, in a way, days. what you're doing is you're explaining uh, the point. I guess you're giving a response to what um what Brett had just raised about Apple. You know, Apple's been I guess, hinting, threatening, maybe uh, uh, suggesting that it's going to drop some kind of awesome augmented reality, maybe virtual reality headset. Um, the rumors keep changing, so you don't really know. It's a little yeah. bit like China in that way. But we've been hearing about this for three years. Yes. And the question has been, where is the new Apple and headset? Some, yeah. and, and Brett, I think everything that everything we just heard from Shelly explains why Apple, Apple's not in the habit of selling products that don't work. And right. Apple's not in the habit of creating bad experiences for people. So if they look at the network and they look at the cloud and they look at all the infrastructure and they go, not yet, because we haven't really deployed 5G in the United States. You don't have millimeters. But they do need developers working on applications and content happening. for the already, already in the works. But we yeah. know this from the rumor mill in California, right? Yeah. So there's tons of people working on Apple stuff. And by all accounts, it's amazing. But I think they're not going to unleash it on the public until they know that people can hook it up to a proper 5G network and get yeah. a decent experience. Otherwise, otherwise it's going to be an Oculus. You know, like people yeah. buy people buy those uh, the meta headsets, and on average, they're used twice a month. It's a very expensive paperweight. By the way, guys, what I did learn at CES, I always wondered what Darth Vader's bandolier had in it, and what the stormtroopers' bandoliers had in them. Yeah, yeah. And I always thought it was ammunition for the blasters, and now I am completely convinced. They were batteries. It's batteries for the head-up display. The <laughs> batteries for the heads-up display. Right on. Right on. Okay, so Shelly, we talked about January. That was CS. We talked about February. That was the Mobile World Congress. And then we get to a fairly momentous March 2023, the month that started with the release of GPT-4. And then just a few days later, uh, Facebook dropped Llama. It, you know, their, their large language model slipped out it somehow. Um, and then we have just a yep. cascade of crazy events, like 1,000 AI apps were launched in March. And then at the end of the month, we had this famous letter where, uh, you know, a bunch of dignitaries, self-appointed dignitaries said to us, wait, 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 we got to put the brakes on. This is moving too yeah. fast. You know? we, did you sign the letter? I did. Okay. Well, so so my my issue with the letter you yeah. know, like talking with Gary Marcus and 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 people like this is that a six month pause without us saying, all right, what is the objective of, you know, um, this pause in terms of let's get some guardrails for the safe deployment of AI. That's my issue is that a pause is just uh, six months. We're back with the same problem. I didn't sign it because I thought there would be even a 10 second pause, Brett. That's not why I signed it. I signed that letter because I'm, I'm. We've been doing AI at the Palmer Group since 2000, when it was statistical machine learning. Um, when the first time we automated a way to find R squared, the first time we actually could figure out how to automate a fast Fourier transform, the first time we could figure out how to regress a line of any kind. 
and and get something valuable and get a CI that was high enough and go, wow, okay, can we make it learn that this is the right outcome and early reinforcement learning and oral, early neural networks. This is not new to us. It's been around a long time. Most consumers think that November 30th, 2022 was the beginning of AI. It's nonsense. It's been around for a long time. If this doesn't have your undivided attention and thrill you in ways you've never been thrilled in your life, and scare the living shit out of you in ways you have never been scared, you simply don't know enough. Understand, yeah. Exactly. You simply don't know enough. You have more to learn. It when changes everything. Letter, it changes everything. Everything. And when I saw the letter, I thought, this is nonsense. But you know what? And it's real nonsense. It's not no one's stopping anything for literally a nanosecond. That's not what's going to happen. But we have to have the conversation but about how this smart, is going to impact That's right. The world. Smart people yeah, yeah. just sit in a room and say, you know, when this thing gets HTTP requests, the capability to make an HTTP request, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. For those of you listening who don't understand what that would mean, it would mean that a model would have the autonomous ability when it thought it needed to, to go out to the internet and do something on your behalf based on what it believes and it calculated its next best action to be. It doesn't think, it doesn't have context, it has no clue what it's doing, but it has your credit card and a way to get to the web. I'm sorry, someone needs to sit down and just talk that through for a second whether or not you can stop it i don't you what, what use your metaphor can't put the toothpaste back in the tube can't put the genie back in the bottle you're not stopping progress and i would i'm the last human being that would ever advocate for that plus the fact there's no such thing as good technology or bad technology that distinction is reserved for human beings there are mm. good people and bad yeah. people the tech yeah. is the tech but but folks do you not understand what we're about to unleash uh uh no, I agree with Yuval that. Harare, who wrote the yeah. book *Sapiens*, yep. has a has a line in one of his books, and it might it might be this third book. The, he called it "consciousness decoupled," uh, te- intelligence decoupled from consciousness. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and it's not exactly precisely metaphorically correct, but it is. But it's close, yeah. Stunningly close. Yeah, intelligence. You know, look, is your calculator intelligent? I don't know if I can do the square root of 368,244 right now without a calculator. I, I probably, I mean, it would take me a few minutes to do it longhand. Um, mm-hmm. But my, I wouldn't. I would grab my calculator. Is my calculator smarter than I am when it comes to pulling square roots of numbers that have more than a couple of digits? Yes, it's way smarter than I am. Okay, but Shelley, let me offer this. Part of what you talked about intelligence being decoupled from consciousness, and that's certainly interesting. We'll never know when these machines are actually conscious or yeah, not. never. But on the other hand, there's another factor here because there is this sort of palpable feeling of resistance. And in some cases, I think people are fed up with the tech industry. And that's a matter of intelligence decoupled from morality. So the people who are driving this bus, the people who are telling these AIs what to do, the people who just went ahead and launched this, they didn't ask for any permission. Nobody asked for it. Nobody said, oh, gee, I'd like to have a smart typewriter that can complete my sentences for me. That just got dropped on us all. The people who are running this have not demonstrated any deep grounding in morality or any sense that they understand philosophy. Well, even, or even Google and Microsoft have both fired their ethical boards recently, which what's that about, right? Did you see the video of Satya Nadella where he says, we are going to teach Google to dance. We're going to make the world, we're going to make the world know that we made Google dance. 
He seemed almost like a James Bond villain. It was the strangest Ooh. thing to see. I mean, he's a brilliant CEO, no question. Right now, his company is rocking it, right? But that was a really weird victory lap yeah. to take. So, I mean, it, yes. And I look, there's a problem that I think some people who have been following this for more than five minutes have probably heard the term. It's called alignment or the alignment problem. I'm yeah, sure talk we, about that. You guys are familiar with the term, I'm sure. sure. For those of you who don't know what the term is, the the problem with AI is that it is unclear how you create a model where the outputs are going to be truly aligned with human interests, like your interests as the creator. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for this. I, I think, I don't know if you guys have covered this in previous podcasts, but it would be instructive for everyone listening to understand how this works just for a second, the uh, generative pre-trained transformer has been around for a while. Google uh, initiated this research years back um, in their uh, Google Translate group. Why did the Translate group do this? Well, it's really simple. Uh, 50, 5-0% of the internet is written in English. 20, 2-0% of people on earth speak English. Google is one of the few companies on this planet that will get bigger as internet usage increases. So imagine this, Google becomes accessible to 30% more people than they can get to right now because it's in a language they understand. Google profits, and they profit mightily. They would need to do nothing else to grow but simply translate that part of the internet which people do not understand. And so they put Google Translate front and center. And it was a modern marvel. And they started doing it with neural, first with statistical machine learning back five, 10 years ago. And then they realized that neural networks could be used to, to accomplish some of this. And ultimately, BERT and some of the other transformer tools evolve at Google. And Google are your guys. They're having a Kodak moment right now. The Kodak, if you remember, invented digital photography. But they were also the biggest sellers of paper and film in the world. And that was a multi-billion dollar business. And they didn't want, they, they had some business issues. And they just crushed their digital camera business until they went out of business because no one cared anymore. So Google knows a lot about um, pre-trained transformers. Let me tell you who are listening a little bit about how they work. The simplest, and it's not a fully accurate metaphor, but it's going to do for this. If I say Rob is always looking for trouble, and then I say trouble's always looking for Rob, those sentences have exactly the same words in them, exactly the same, but they do not mean the same thing in any way. Rob is always looking for trouble and trouble is always looking for Rob would be interpreted by any native English speaker as two completely different thoughts. Now, AI has no way of understanding prior to Transformers what the word or, word order meant. And everyone who thinks Facebook is reading your stuff or Google's reading your stuff, you clearly don't understand how they work. There are no tools in our science that can read and understand the English language in any way, not even mm. chat GPT. It doesn't. Here's what it does. It has read, it's called the large language model for a reason. It has read a ton of data. The corpus is the entire internet that they could get their hands on in GPT's case up to 2021. And it has looked through a concept called self-attention at the order of words, the word it's on, looking back at the previous three, four, some odd words. And it is statistically scoring, for lack of a better way to describe it, what words are supposed to follow what words yeah. 
What are the after reading right, a trillion right. words? What's the most likely next word? So it looks at it's your just statistics. Uh, basically, it, it looks at your query and has no idea what you've asked. It has no idea what the words mean in any way, but it knows that the is the most popular word in the English language, and what precedes the is not going to help it. And it just keeps working its way backwards till it gets a decent idea about what it thinks the words it should write have to do with the words you have written. It is a word calculator. It basically is no smarter than a cash register. It's just a word calculator. So how do you align its ability to learn statistically what goes where with your desired outcome? If, for example, there is a ton of writing about the Bible, and the Bible tells a story about whatever it tells a story about, however you interpret it. There are an ungodly number of translations of the Bible available. There are different flavors of the Bible available. They all tell basically the same story. You go ask ChatGPT a question about the Bible. Will that answer be aligned with the answer the creator of that model intended? There's no way to solve for that right yeah. now. And so that wow. that's not that's an ethical explanation of alignment. That that was a very long discourse on alignment, but I, I love the way you brought it full circle. Shelly, tell us what you do for a living, because uh, just before we started this, you were chatting with me about how you've got incoming queries. A lot of people want to know what to do next. What is this? What does the Palmer Group do? So. Technically, we're a we're a tech strategy and solutions firm. And in yeah. the old days, you know, before last week, um, we would be known as a company that was specializing in digital transformation for big tech, big brands, mm -hmm. and big media. So, you know, if you look at the logo wall, it's Fortune 500 companies, and we we help people take legacy systems and legacy ideas and figure out better, more efficient ways to do them and, and ways to interface with the modern world. We have a, a, a concentration in technology, media, and marketing. Mm -hmm. I come out of the TV business. And so uh, in my early life, I spent almost uh, my full time writing music for television and directing television commercials and TV shows. So we have, a, a, in fact, at one point I was president of the Emmys in New York. So I mean, I have a pretty, pretty you know, deep background in television yeah. and radio. And so um, we also put the very first ever tapeless recording studio online in 1986, the first fully digital recording environments. We did that because we needed to invent it for productivity. Yeah. But so my tech background comes out of uh, holding a soldering iron and actually doing yeah. stuff. Yeah. Recordings. A lot of people don't realize this, but you know, the, the, the digital media revolution started with the music industry and particularly in post-production and in New York. I was there in the 1980s yeah, yeah. and you know, the first uh, non-linear editing happened. It wasn't video first. That took almost 10 years. No, it was a 19 West 36th Street at Creative Audio, which was our studio. That's where it started. <laughs> That's right. April so, Shelly, what we like to do on the show is uh, we like to do a quick fire round right before we take a break. And a quick fire round is a series of quick questions uh, so that our audience can get a little more acquainted with you and, and how you're shaped. And uh, for this process, Brett is the one who administers the questions. I'm going to turn <laughs> it over to Brett for the rapid fire round. Here we go. So what was the first science fiction you remember being exposed to? Ray Bradbury. Very cool. Um, what technology do you think has most changed humanity? The thermos. The thermos. That's interesting. Sure. <laughs> when it's when it when it, you put hot liquid in, it stays hot. When you put cold liquid, in, it stays cold. How does it know? 
That's pretty cool. I'm kidding with you. The number one technology that's changed everything, honestly, is the computer. But first it was a steam engine and then it was the computer, right? So after fire and the 10,000 years of humans that figured that out, writing was pretty good 5,000 years ago. Uh, steam shovel allowed us to build the world we see around us. And now computers are uh, where, where steam shovels amplified the quality of our muscles and the abilities of our muscles thousands of times. Computational power like AI is amplifying yeah, right. our minds tens of thousands of times. These are these are sea changes in humanity. Yeah, human augmentation. Sure. You know, you can even talk about the uh, the spectacles, right? Yeah. Um, name a futurist or an entrepreneur that has influenced you. Ray Kurzweil. He's good. Uh, Law of accelerating returns. I think in uh, right around two thousand, he wrote, but maybe nineteen ninety nine, he wrote a book where he talked about the law of accelerating returns and. It was my lived experience, and I thought, wow, okay, somebody's really thinking about the world the way I'm thinking about the world. Moore's Law was interesting. Marty Cooper, God bless, he just had a 50th anniversary of the first cell phone call. Cooper's Law, that the need to, the capacity of telecommunications networks increases every 30 months is actually more accurate than Moore's Law. So kudos to Marty kudos to marty cooper and i don't know if those are futurists or just people who are in it with their finger on the pulse and and they, that's I, how I, we I that's how we think of the term though it's the people who are building the future not just the yeah, people yeah. talking about it yeah the talkers are less interesting than the guys that are doing it yeah cool absolutely and um what science fiction story is most representative of the future you hope for if i am honest with you star trek the original series gene uh, Roddenberry's vision of a future where human pursuits of things that we intrinsically believe are human. And by the way, my my thinking has evolved on what it means to be human from my mm. naive childhood days of Gene Roddenberry's world. But seeing the super diverse bridge of the enterprise and having them go out there and and try to take the very best of what we believed the golden rule looked like and the prime directive which is non-interference and the just the moral dilemmas that were posed it it was a show that if you let it it would cause you to think a little bit of not so much about science fiction in the future but what it means to be human in the future and i i was really really taken by that i saw Star Trek as uh, inspiration to for my career, not um, science fiction. And I'll, a quick quick aside, I know we're going to take a break. Years ago, 2006, I did a lecture at the Media Lab at MIT. And it was the year the Motorola StarTAC had right. out. And the, the communicator, right? Wireless yeah. Bluetooth. And I put a picture up um, of the... Star Trek Communicator and the Star Trek, 1966, 2006. I put Ohura's earpiece and the Bluetooth single earpiece that they had at Motorola, and that was her earpiece. And I, I then the next thing I did was I put up a, a picture of the bridge of the Star Trek Enterprise from the original series. And I'm in a room filled with people at the Media Lab, and the the room we were in was that you know that whiteboard material that right 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 whiteboard. well all, all the walls were whiteboard and and I asked the question, I said, what, what do we think, what do we think was the wireless bandwidth required for everyone with a tappable communicator to communicate? Like how, what kind of bandwidth, what kind of computational power are we looking at 
on the Starship Enterprise. And I expected it was rhetorical. I wasn't, I didn't actually ask the question. I asked it in a rhetorical way as I put the slide up because the slide was, I was about to talk about the advent of 4G in 2006, right? LTE is coming. And the whole conversation was about what that would do to consumer empowerment and how people's behaviors were likely to change. Every person in the room, this is scout's honor, got up, went to the wall and started, my speech was over. They were all calculating what Mm. what they thought the bandwidth and the throughput and the computational capacity of the main computer on the Starship Enterprise would be. And that reaffirmed what I believed as a child when I watched Star Trek. And I I only really saw it in in reruns. Uh, I was too young to watch it when it was on in primetime. This was not science fiction. This was a yeah. blueprint. This is a blueprint for things you might be able to do. Sometimes. And I, I think that's generally, you know, why we ask these questions. Um, you know, coming up to the break is is you know, we have had science fiction authors on the show and so forth. Is is there a great lens into the future? The one the one uh, possibility though is that often sci-fi is also a commentary on so you know current social conditions but yeah. let's yeah. let's let's take a quick break um we're with Shelley Palmer uh tech technologist uh, futurist extraordinaire we will be right back after this break provoke media is proud to sponsor produce and support the futurist podcast provoke.fm is a global podcast network and content creation company with the world's leading fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. And of course, it's spin-off podcasts, Breaking Banks Europe, Breaking Banks Asia Pacific, and the Fintech Five. But we also produce the official Finnovate podcast, Tech on Reg, Emerge Everywhere, the podcast of the Financial Health Network, and Next Gen Banker. For information about all our podcasts, go to provoke.fm or check out Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We're back with the futurists. Our uh, esteemed guest this week is Shelley Palmer. You probably heard of Shelley. He's been a, a mainstream figure at CES uh, on the on the TV and, of course, in media generally. Uh, Shelley, before the break, you know, we did start getting into um, you know the the AI uh, progression and so forth, the fear factor. Um, you know, you've had a lot of people coming out asking for this pause in this letter that we talked about uh, earlier, um, but in 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 real terms what do you fear about ai versus what are you excited about look bad actors again the, those are people those are not technologies the problem is that nobody i don't care who you ask nobody understands where this is going to go we don't understand how to align these tools in a narrow focused way with our desired outcomes there's a wonderful little box called the useless machine. It has one switch. And when you press the switch, a little arm comes out from the machine and turns the machine off. So the machine is programmed to do one thing, turn itself off. And when you turn it on, it says, well, thank you for that, but I want to be off. You can't control a single algorithm. Like you can't make that machine go on because it's been programmed to turn itself off. That's one instruction, one. So you want to tell me, is there an, a, a human being arrogant enough to think that that I can't 
write paradoxical instructions by accident that would just cause all kinds of nonsense to happen. So I, I what I fear is what I what I don't know. And I think we all fear what we don't know. It's my my fears about AI are very different from the consumer fears I hear from my mm-hmm. clients or people at dinner parties. They're all, you know, with the Hollywood Terminator stuff or Whopper yeah. from war games. Or, it's going to kill us all. Like, I'm so tired of hearing yeah. that. Uh, it's yeah, like, oh God, you know, that that's nonsense. But the, the again, as I said earlier, the once you give it HTTP request capability, yeah. that's gonna be, be a little tough. Yeah. There's some interesting, there's an interesting concept, AGI, artificial general intelligence. Yeah, yeah. We're hearing a lot about it now. It's gonna just arise magically out of a large language, large language model. Yeah, maybe I'm not I'm no, not I don't think so. I mean, we've had Ben Goetzel and and um, Roman Yuplonsky on the show and so forth, and and you know they they are well away from uh, you know in terms of large language models being spontaneously able to generate AGI because there's you know if you talk about AGI being able to teach an AI anything that you can teach a human, then um, you know we're not talking about just language. Right, you could have a convincing language model that convinces you it's a human and yeah. can talk to you like a human. It doesn't mean it can drive a self-driving car, and it doesn't even be. It might not even be thinking. It's just generating what right. it thinks you're going to like. You yeah. know. So for the folks who are listening, AGI is artificial general intelligence, uh, which is a bit of a mythological construct since we can't define intelligence to begin with. Right. And in many cases, Amer- uh, humans can't agree on what our definition of intelligence. We keep coming up with new definitions of intelligence, emotional intelligence, creative intelligence, and so forth. And so uh, this is a little bit of a nebulous term. Nevertheless, in the um, artificial intelligence industry, it is a goal. It is a goal to create an autonomous thinking machine that has some level of sentience. Uh, the folks at a- OpenAI have made it very clear. The founders of Google made it very clear that this is a long-term goal of theirs. So there's been well, some no, but AGI has been AGI account. has been the goal of humanity, right? You know, like if you look back to the steam machine man of the prairie. Speak you for know, yourself, we, man. I don't know if that's my goal. Like that might be your goal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think if we talk about automation, mm-hmm. this is what this is why when people debate whether AI is going to take jobs from humans, I say, what are you talking about? This has been the sole entire intent of manufacturing artificial intelligence to make our life easier by removing labor from, uh, you know, using machines. This has always been the intent. Okay. Is that happening? Shelly, in your view, is is life getting easier or harder with these things? Let's give ourselves a definition for a second, just so we can have the conversation. So, AI, as we understand it right now, is designed to perform specific tasks. It will make you an image mid-journey. It will do some text-to-text, which is what ChatGPT does. These are It'll do natural language processing. Some do speech recognition. You talk to a device, and it understands the words. It may not know what you meant, but at least it can, it can t- take the words you say, the audio, and turn it into text. AGI... Uh, artificial general intelligence would would be for this conversation only a tool set or a model that could learn anything that we could learn at a level we could learn it now that we don't know what that speed is but let's leave it there my personal belief this is one man talking is we don't need to get anywhere near agi for this to become a horrifically strange world Hmm. Here's how it would work. That, that's very true. Yeah. Here's how it would work. 
I've got a bunch of narrow focus tools. I've got speech recognition. I've got in both directions. I have speech to text and text to speech. I've got graphics to text and text to graphics. Mid journey six, they're saying you'll put a picture in. It's going to give you the prompt. It's like just it, it, the pro. So there's oh, wow. imagine all the narrow focus tools in the world. If you go over to hugging face, you can see the, all the narrow focus tools they have. Now, all you need is a semi-generalized AI model whose job it is to wrangle the narrow-focused models. And, yeah. you've got, and you've got near AGI. It's not AGI. It's not close to AGI. But it will be able to do things in an autonomous way yeah. that will mimic, and maybe not in a good way, what AGI is supposed to be able to do. And so to me, it's like everybody's saying, well, you know, we're maybe large language models are not the path to artificial general intelligence. For it all doesn't really matter. Reasons. It doesn't it matter. Doesn't, I mean, it no, just, AI... AI is going to be impacting em employment patterns. It's going to impact our behavior. It's going to be doing all of those things well before we get to AGI. And here's the thing. People are afraid of losing their jobs. You know, let me tell everybody listening how to not be afraid of losing your job because it's really simple. There's actually nothing simpler in the world you can do than not lose your job to AI. You become... In the office, the very best human AI coworker team. You man plus machine thing you are good at, and yeah. you use AI to do what it does best. Quick, quick example: you're an art director. You have a really good idea. You're being tasked with the a page of deliverables that include every IAB standard unit. You got to do a double truck for the three print magazines left in the world. You have to do a thirty sheet billboard because they're going to buy some billboards with paper billboards. You have to do a digital version of that, the high enough resolution where it'll sit on a digital billboard. You need to do some graphics or digital signage in store because those are completely different formats too. Today, you'd have junior art directors running all over the department and you'd hand this off to them and they'd do it. With a tool set like we're talking about, you'd press a button and all the all of the versions would show up in seconds. Okay. You would then teach That's it. Yeah, that's an advantage. But but let me let me let me interrupt because I want to really get, get this is where people start to lose uh, lose it, right? Because that all sounds great. You're right. We can automate stuff, and you're right. You know, somebody in an office can raise their hand and say, "I'm going to be the AI expert for my company. I'm going to be the best at AI bookkeeping, and I'm going to be going to be the super, chat prompt whisperer." Yeah. Yes, I'll be super augmented because I'll know how to do prompt craft better than anyone else. Okay, there's two thoughts with that. First off, not everybody wants to change their working methodology. People have a workflow they're quite content with. And I think this is part of the panic that you're seeing right now. People are going, I didn't ask for this. I didn't actually want to be augmented with this technology. Now I have to get on a treadmill. And but remember, this the is the story of, this is the story the of technology. Is is by a technology company, it's foisting it on you. Right? We didn't invite this in. So Rob, I call total too bad. Welcome to evolution. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, this is my lived experience. I started my career as a composer, producing, producer, writing music for television. Yeah. Mom and dad met at Juilliard. They own music stores. I grew up in a very musical household, and I started writing music for a living. I had to learn. How did I learn? By mimicking my music teachers and my parents were my first music educators. And yeah. I learned, and my father would say, play it like this. And he didn't mean kind of like this. He meant like this. Okay, but that brings me to my second point. Look, the benevolent mentorship is going to get lost. As soon as we automate this and there's no junior art directors who are running around doing all, all the yep. art or there's no dad who's teaching you how to do the yeah, music. Farm club's going to get a little thin, but here's my point. My <laughs> point is, is that at a certain time in my life, I had spent the 
was it Malcolm Gladwell? Twenty thousand hours of time you had yeah. to to be good at something. Well, I spent forty thousand hours, Malcolm. I'm sorry, I don't know who could spend twenty thousand, but I played a lot of instruments because we owned a music store and there were a lot of instruments, and I picked every one of them up I could pick up, and I would shed on it. And guess what? The equivalent of of uh, me born now gets to press a button and get something to happen. And somebody, my my six month old grand, the youngest of my four granddaughters. When she turns, call it seven years old, if she can describe it, it will happen for her. Yeah. yeah now, yeah, the yeah. democratization of creativity that this brings, and I will fight anyone to the death on this subject. I was literally taught this is how John Coltrane plays Giant Steps. This is how David Sanborn plays churchy blues music. This is how Michael Brecker has conceived creative uh, chromatic harmony in a way that it's still in my head from when I was 14 years old, may he rest in peace. And whenever I think of approaching a chord uh, progression in chromatic harmony, every rule of being Michael Brecker is running through my head unconsciously because he's right. been in every saxophone player's head since he started playing. All that this is what This is what Star Wars would look like if Spielberg produced it. Right? So at the end of the day, now... This young child will be able to, who loves music, who has something to say, who wants to emote something, who's got who's got real ideas about the kind of float or the kind of rhythms or the kind of dance music or the melodic thing that he or she wants, and they just describe it and out it comes. That democratization trumps 100% of the now, I don't know, 100,000 hours I have into playing. Rob, I have a practice plan that I do every morning. People probably don't think that, you know, wow, man, you're 65 years old. Do you practice every day for an hour and a half? You know how, and there's a diary that goes back 61 years. I was four years old when my dad started writing my practice plan. And then I, of course, took it over. What am I working on this week? You're going to laugh. I'm working on guide tones for this bizarre, eclectic, multi-tonal, crazy, insane piece of jazz music. Huh. And my goal is to be able to do that in 12 keys without thinking about it. And it's, it follows no progression a human being would ever do. And That's I'm like, cool. wow, this is tough. I'm going to do this this week. This is really a pain in the butt. It's not diatonic. It's not chromatic. It's some weird ass micro. Okay, good. I'm going to do this this week. Okay. So for me. you're saying that you're committed to lifelong learning and I get it. Like you're giving us very ample evidence of that, which I fully respect. And you know me, I'm all, I share that. I share that. That's a part lot of, of the process, don't. Rob. A lot of people yeah. don't. A lot of people are very yeah. content to go to work and do their job, come home, watch Netflix, you know, make some food. They don't want to be jostled out of their very comfortable niche that they've got. What I what I think both of you guys are saying is like tough luck. It's here. Well, you've got Luddites and you've got people well, who adapt. Like, yeah, I know, you know, I know. But let's not replay the Luddite story because we hear that all the time. That's not what this is. This is. Can different. I just? Can I make a point though, Rob? Hey, well, hang, I, hang, hang I, on. Let me just let me just carry the thought through. Only because because there's. It's sort of like this, the lament that we're hearing, and it's in every newspaper, every magazine you look at right now, the lament that we are hearing is not the lament of like the worker in the factory or the day laborer or the person who does the mundane task or even the bookkeeper or the back office person. It is the, the lament of the high priests, the attorneys, the coders, the graphic designers. These are the people who learned a particular language or particular skill of expression. And now they're finding out that that skill just got commoditized, not over years, 
in a month. It's like, wow, you were great at what you did back in 2022. And here it is 2023. And guess what? The world no longer sees value in writing a long-winded legal brief. The world no longer sees value in coding a web page. Suddenly that's something that a kid can do just by talking to a machine or even holding up a picture to GPT-4 and saying, make this website. So that yeah. is the lament. It's that, wow, stuff that I spent my entire career learning and becoming expert in, let's say I'm an attorney or a coder or a, a copywriter for an ad agency, overnight that's been rendered invaluable, or, or sorry, devalued completely. Okay, deal with that one. Respond, go, tear it apart. Well, so this, yeah. one is, this one's easy. This one is really easy. The number one driver of economic success is productivity. End of story. There are many definitions of success, but if we are to define economic success, then the number one, the key driver of economic success is productivity. You may not have liked email. You might not like PowerPoint. You may not like Excel. There's a lot of things you don't like, but you use them every day. The Microsoft Office is required for knowledge workers. Do you have- In fact, we called them productivity tools. Do we have someone in the office who makes your PowerPoints for you? You've been very lucky that you could have a wage slave who would do that. Now the wage slave gets replaced by automation the way the cotton gin helped you process cotton. So automation's not new. We are always looking for greater productivity. Every production job, no matter what it is, if you are to produce something, a set of financials, a point of view on an ad buy, a piece of music, a piece of video, no matter what you are producing, a loaf of bread, you are governed not by what the market will pay for it, but what it costs you to make. Because those who are more productive and have wider margins make more money, market sets the price. End of story every day. If you're super famous, you can be aggressive in your uh, uh, less aggressive in your pricing. But if you're a journeyman, which most people are, and we're talking about most people, the price is set by market. You can't charge twice what your competitor charges and be a middle-managed mafia member at a big corporation. Now you are going to have to learn some new tools. And if you resist learning those tools, you may be content. And I'm sorry that your world is turned upside down. I've lived this, this is several history. times. Yeah, this, this is, is the, This is, and by the way, it's happening in an exponential pace, which is going to piss you off. I think that's the more. difference, isn't it? The difference is the speed now, yeah. because yeah. even when the internet came along, people were like, yeah, it's not going to really affect me for the next five years. I don't and need a website. Yeah, I don't need a website. You know, why do I need those phones? Are for I'm kids. never going to be on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Right. And here we are, you know, but now, as Rob pointed out, this is happening in months and people don't have the time to get comfortable with it and adapt. And as you say, the market doesn't care. The market does not care. If we can get some productivity gains by removing some humans out of the workforce, the market will celebrate it. Investors will flock to it. That's the core problem we have right now. If we want to have a controlled evolution of artificial intelligence, you have to turn the market forces off, and that's not going to happen. I mean, Rob, just, just not to put to find a point on this, when I got in the music business, table stakes. You had to be able to sight sing anything put in front of you. They put a piece of paper, music paper on the stand and you're with four or five people you may or may not know. And there were four clicks to start and you started singing. And if you, and you had one take for the engineer to get the levels and the next take was the take and then you were done. It paid extremely well. 
That was table stakes. Same thing with every musician walked into the room. If you were called in to play keyboard for something, I was called in to play whatever I was called in to play. It was expected table stakes that I would sit down and read it off the paper as if I had been practicing it my whole life. Now, I ran a music production company for a very long time. And and sometime in the late 90s, um, we got a soloist in who's, I will not name, very famous soloist, client spent a lot of money, 150 grand to bring this pop star in. And they wanted to use their background singers. And I wrote the chart out and they're like, can we just get the lyrics, please? And just sing it to us? Why? Well, none of us read music. To be in the room when I was their age required a music education that no one needs even think Paul about. Paul McCartney didn't read music when he started with the Beatles. But he only played his own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we were he in the business of playing other people's right. stuff. Yeah, you, were, you were saying that that was table stakes just, just a few years earlier, and suddenly it became obsolete. Overnight. And it didn't matter. It's like, can just communicate yeah. to these singers by singing yeah. to them. And now okay. you'll just type it in as a, as a prompt, and soon it'll be something that you just say to your phone so, and so generate I've music. lived this. And yeah, it was no yeah, yeah. fun saying, wow, I got thousands of hours of performance skill training here in order yeah. to be able to just be in this room. And these guys are waltzing in here because of their unique talents and able to just they, they get a pass. So, yeah. folks, you don't get a pass on this one. Everybody needs to learn. You don't want to learn your choice. Consequences will be dire. Yeah. OK, but you can understand why people would not like that. Right. Some people would I say totally understand. I yeah, but okay, this great. is but okay, it doesn't a, matter. Great. Okay, let's talk it doesn't about matter it. if you like it. I'm empathetic. Well, I'm empathetic. Well, it does. It, change right, it, it does because well, it that, does, but that's it, where the letter comes from. Right, that's where pressure on Congress comes from. People, there's a backlash right. happening here. Right. And, but you know, it, it, I grew it, up so in the this Midwest. Requires, right? This requires bigger thinking, um, you know, and it really yeah, comes Brett, back to the Brett. nature of capitalism. Okay, but know? when you say that, just hear what you're saying. This requires bigger thinking. Who are you talking to? You know, when I grew up in the Midwest in the 1980s, uh, the um, the auto factories and the tire factories and all the suppliers to the auto industry were going out of business. Those jobs were going overseas. We were offshoring. And it was quite easy for me as a young kid to look at that and say, like, well, that's a lousy career. I'm not going to go in there. All my friends were going to go work in an auto factory, go work for Ford Motor or Fisher Body or something like that. I chose not to do that. Right. I chose to upskill as, as Kelly has, has shared with us. Right. It was very easy for me to say that at the time. It's a little tougher, though, if you're a person who has been working on that factory line for 25 years to just say or like, oh, a oh, truck driver who's been driving cross country oh, for upskill. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now who it's happening to is the journalists. It's happening to the attorneys. Lawyers, it's happening doctors, to the people. Yeah. Yes, exactly. These people with really high skills who invested quite a lot of money in educational in education. And for many years, they've had a lot of prestige and power in their industry because they have those skills. And I guess the point I'm making is this is happening for them. It's ex the experience they're having is it's happening overnight. It really feels like it just started right. happening in the last couple of months. So let's go back to the point that, that Shelly made before the break, which was about the law of accelerating returns. Um, because at the end of the show, we like to look out in the future. And I think right now we can say, all of us think about the, you know, the three of us spend all our time thinking about the future, but things are changing so fast and compounding so quickly. And this space is so complex and there's so many new emergent effects coming that we can't anticipate. Shelly, I have a question for you. Can you give us a vision of where this is going? Can you put on your your, your forecasting lens now and give us a picture of what we should expect five, 10, 15 years? As you've said, you've been watching technological development your entire career. So extrapolate it for us. I have two minds. One, we just all figure it out. and. 
the earth keeps turning, the sun comes up in the morning, goes down in the evening, and we figure it out, and things will be heterogeneously different over time. That's the uh, that's my hope. If I could hope, it'll just it'll inventory maybe a little faster than than normal, maybe a little faster than we were used to experiencing because of the law of accelerated returns. But I go on a limb here and say in the next 90 days, something catastrophically bad is going to happen with AI and they're going to haul Sam Altman's butt in front of Congress and try to figure that out because the minute there's an HTTP request possible, something stupid is going to happen. Stock stock market manipulation, war gets started, bomb goes off, terrorism, something they'll attribute to AI. I think that's going to happen. But my, my, dystopian future isn't dystopian it's just disturbing the west coast google meta amazon ebay name your big tech company salesforce they play a different game than the rest of us play you've got data scientists making a million and a half dollars a year that know more about how to manipulate data than anybody any hundred thousand people you'll talk to these are elite mathematicians with deep understanding of set theory, deep understanding of linear algebra and array math, deep understanding of how to train and build the future that they want to live in. Whether rightly or wrongly, th- this group of people are playing a different game, a very different game than the rest of us. And as productivity is the key driver of success, what I can posit and hope against, but don't know if I'm wrong, is that we're going to have an AI elite, not necessarily the open AIs of the world or the mid journeys of the world or people who are building the models, people who understand intrinsically how to use those models for their own gain. And if you think there's wealth inequality now, oh, yeah. AI inequality is going to drive wealth inequality that is unprecedented in the history yeah. of humanity, except maybe when there were Chinese dynasties or there were pharaohs in Egypt or whatever, you know, when you had literally you enslaved a country and they're building you pyramids. Okay, I guess they have a lot of wealth by comparison to, let's say, the people building the pyramids. But in modern history, when we think about what wealth is, knowledge is power. And, and those who get a handle on this Quick, the way that the West Coast got a handle on good old-fashioned data collection, that's the most likely future. A handful of people are going to, like, Bloomberg. The trillionaires. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're going to see the first trillionaires. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know what that does to the world, guys. It's I, I, I'm, I'm becoming more enlightened about the idea of universal basic income i'm becoming more enlightened about but but ubi bakes in that inequality that's part of the problem i know it, right? I, I, it solves the problem of you it, know you can't get you can't get work and so you can't get paid once again but, it, it's a debate Brett. it's i'm not an advocate one way or the other no no i, I i'm but with socratic, you Absolutely. socratic debate about what you do right what four billion people do not have access to the body of knowledge of mankind and the calculation speed with which I can do something. There's not like they can go to school and figure out how they're going to, you know, you're not going to equal opportunity act or some kind. You're not going to legislate that equality because it's so far ahead of any policy that any policymaker could ever conceive of from a time perspective. It'll take them a decade to catch up in a decade. We will have something like AGI or near AGI in the hands of a very few who are so powerful because of it. Yeah. 
that that it's not and I, that's the it's the, that's the future that keeps me up and by the way i it excites me in ways i've never been excited to come full circle it also scares me in ways i've never been scared and i think to me that's what makes this this so exciting you know we've got we started this um, we have some courses at courses.shellypalmer.com with this thing called Med Academy. And the first one we did was crypto and NFTs because I have a best-selling book on blockchain. And then the next thing we did was metaverse and Web3, which was kind of, you know, cool. And it's a, the definition for us in the metaverse is the, this ability for users and creators to share in the value they create and how you might, you know, create business models and, and so the technology that might use that. Well, last week, we we debuted generative AI for executives at courses.chellypalmer.com. Mm. 100,000 people signed up in 10 days. <laughs> You're wondering if people are interested in this? Wow. They're interested in this. That's cool. And so th- th- that's not, it's the name of the course. It's not that Shelly Palmer wrote it. It's not that, mm-hmm. forget all that. It's like my blockchain book was a bestseller, not because I'm a genius author, it's because I happen to put it out in the height of the blockchain craze. The This got everybody's attention because to your point, Rob, everyone is terrified and Mm. by the way it's justified to be terrified right now like if you're not scared you literally have not thought this through yeah now my my issue with all of this and and i agree a hundred percent with what you've said um my issue is that the the only way to sort of control outcomes in some respect is to say um, what what are the constraints we want to put put on ai and and that requires sort of ethical uh, programming or ethical regulations. And that requires us reaching consensus on ethics, which I don't even know how we would do that. How? Exactly. How? Right. When we talk about alignment with AI, that's about alignment with values, the human values. We right. can't get alignment on values in We one can't country. agree on abortion in the United States, right? It's like, yeah. So how, how are you going to codify ethics around this stuff? Okay. Uh, let, let's think about it this way. So there's individuals listening, but there's yeah, also- we're, we're, we're over groups. time too. So I'm conscious of okay. Shelley's time, but- All right. All right. There's, there's individuals <laughs> listening. There's groups of people. You know, people are connected to groups. And then there's like kind of society at large and the world at large. And um, and when we talk about these these trends, we tend to sort of trombone between the individual experience, which I've been referring to, and then you go to like, you know, kind of societal impact, which is large but incomprehensible, and there's not much we can do about it. Shelly, what would you recommend to people who are listening that they should do right now, like this month? Uh, what should they, what actions should they take to begin to prepare themselves for this inevitable transformation that's going to touch everybody's lives? There are three levels that you can interact First, you can wait for Microsoft to incorporate all of these tools into Microsoft Office and just be a better user of Microsoft Office. And that will get you to the to your retirement 20 year pin. They ain't going to do much else for you, but it'll, it'll get you it'll get you out of the you'll be an AI user. And that's one point two billion users of Microsoft. Yeah, No, no, it's a lot of people. Yeah. If if you're a little more aggressive, then there is an unimaginable amount of information available online, but go to go get a GPT, a chat GPT account. And on their discord server, there is a prompt library and just read the prompt library and understand how to add prompts to GPT, to chat GPT. And then mid journey is going to have a website for version six, but right now you need a discord account. You go to the discord server, you go and you look at the prompts in their newbie channels and their general channels, and they'll teach you how to do it. And make some images and just feel the power of this and let your mind be open to to what could be there's a there's a thing called futurepedia which is a a, a giant database 
of everything. Like Rob said earlier, the thousand apps came out in March. Um, we do a newsletter at ShellyPalmer.com every day. You're welcome to that. We do have our course, courses.shellypalmer.com. Um, that, that we do have a generative AI course that is a really good, solid uh, overview written in understandable words. But I would implore you in the middle zone to get deep into just the use cases. And, and I would approach it with an actual job in mind, something that you're passionate about as a side hustle. I wouldn't just do it to do it. Like, okay, I've got the Girl Scout meeting on Thursday. Let, what, let me make a flyer for the meeting or I've got the PTA yeah. or I've got, I'm baking cookies as my, like do it as a project so that it has meaning to you and that you understand how it solved problems for you. Cause otherwise it's just like going to school and learning something that's irrelevant. And the third uh, approach to this is to uh, start start to get deep into what this is and decide what part of the problem you want to solve. And what I mean by that, as Brett made very clear and Rob just made very clear, whose worldview would you want to impose? Well, we come from a society 50 years ago where there was the golden rule and an invariant sense of right and wrong. And we have devolved, and I'll say that uh, with uh, pure sincerity, into a society where there are just winners and losers, and the morality right. doesn't yeah. seem to matter. Mm -hmm. You have to decide which you are. Are you someone who has an invariant sense of right and wrong? And I'm not talking about divine inspiration, just the do unto others as you'd have them do unto you kind of golden rule thing. Does this feel right? Does this feel wrong? I got a family, the people I love, trying to protect food on the table, want everyone to be safe. The most basic of basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs as the basis for our morality and decide where you sit there and then make some determinations about how you can help. And the only way you can help is the following. You can become educated so that you are speaking from a place of knowledge, not hearsay, not somebody's YouTube video, not Robin Brett's podcast with listening to Shelley Palmer talk nonsense. Get your own opinion about this. You deserve to have your own opinion about it. It's got to come from a place of your learned lived experience. That's thing one. And then two, you cannot affect change from the outside. You can't go on Twitter and affect change or Facebook, a like ain't going to do it. You get on the phone with your elected official, you get down to their office, you find a staffer, you corner them and say, I know what this is. I understand it. Do you? And if they don't give you a satisfactory answer, start to organize in your community yeah, yeah. and change the leadership. There is a time before AI and there is a time after AI. We are now in the time after AI and it is yeah. coming at a speed that will absolutely not make sense to you. And you're going to find yourself on the wrong end of that gun if you don't get involved. So you have three ways to do it. Learn to use it as part of the tools that you use every day, and then it'll impress you. Go a little deeper or go real deep. Those are your three choices. Ignoring it, not on the decision tree. Fantastic. Wow. Shelly Palmer, thank you so much for the gift of your time. It has been a tremendous pleasure to hear you, to listen to you, to engage, to debate with you and so on. And for the folks who are listening, Shelly is described in many ways as a technologist, as an author, as an expert, as a TV pundit, all those things. That's all true. There is much that you can gain by going to Shelly's website, ShellyPalmer.com. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of information there because at the core, apart from all those wonderful things, 
he shares a passion for educating people. He shares a passion for uh, wanting to disseminate information and get people educated and get them informed. And you can get all that on the Shelly Palmer website. Please check it out. His courses are great. Uh, so I know this. I know about the cryptocurrency course, which we didn't even get to talk about because that's also a booming field. I'm so sorry. We'll have to have you back on the show. Thank you so very much. We went super long, but man, was it great. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us Wonderful. today. Great My to see you. Uh, Always folks, good to, to see you, show. Shout out to the uh, the folks who have been helping make the show, and that is the whole team at Provoke Media, Kevin Hirshhorn, uh, our, our producer, uh, Elizabeth Severance, and the whole crew at Provoke. Uh, we want to thank our sponsor and also um, my co-host, Brett King, who makes this show possible with his expertise. And if you like the show, please do us a favor, give us a five-star review, uh, share it with a friend. That has been working. Show's booming right now, so we're very, very happy about the progress we're making and we appreciate everybody who's listening and all the work you're doing to help us get the word out about this program so thank you all very much for that and we will see you brett in the future well that's it for the futurists this week if you like the show we sure hope you did please subscribe and share it with the people in your community and don't forget to leave us a five-star review that really helps other people find the show and you can ping us anytime on Instagram and Twitter at, at Futurist Podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask. Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future.